Hey everybody, it's comedian Trent McClellan and you're listening to my podcast called The Generators. Every single week I have a cool guest and we talk about uh, life, professions, creativity, success, failure, and all sorts of other cool stuff. In every single one of these conversations, I learned a great deal, and I'm pretty sure you're going to learn a great deal, too. So uh, hang on tight, and thanks for listening to The Generators. time it is for you uh good fill in the blank that part whatever that is for you you know uh trent mcclellan coming at you here with another episode of the generators podcast thanks for coming on back if you've uh if you're returning and if you're new welcome grab a seat do you want something to eat something to drink huh no okay well still feel free to listen um, hope you're having a good week. Hope things are going well there. It is, uh, let me give you the date here. Like I'm some kind of, uh, some kind of astronaut lost in space by myself and I'm just doing a video journal log. You know, they, they do that all the time. Um, give you the old uh, date here. It's uh, Tuesday, June 5th, 2018. So if you're finding this in the future, yeah, we also had recording devices. All right. Don't feel like you're crushing it out there. Right. You better be doing some crazy stuff. We also could fly. OK, we had the Internet. We had computers. OK, so stop patting yourself on the back there in 2035 and understand that we had some pretty good technology, too, in 2018. OK, one such thing being that as of today, I can now have Wi-Fi in my house and use the microwave at the same time. That's a thing I now have ability to do. <laughs> that was a real problem at my house. I didn't make that up. Well, I don't know what it was, but the Wi-Fi frequency and the microwave frequency were the same. And if you were checking email and someone decided they were going to make a bag of popcorn, everything shut down. I'm like, what? what is this, dial-up? Like, anyway, got fixed today. So I feel like, uh, I kind of feel like I'm in the future where everyone else has been living, I guess, for quite some time. Anyway. I hope things are well with you. Uh, coming at you with another episode, and excited to be back and bringing you uh, more episodes here in the future. And um, first of all, I want to give a big thank you to every single person that came out to the shows uh, over the last couple of weeks. Um, started in Brooks, went on to Chilliwack, Kelowna, Victoria, Edmonton, and Calgary. Thank you so much to every single person who came out and dragged friends out to the shows. It means the world to me. Um, had a great time, saw some beautiful parts of the country, and uh, you get reminded of why you do this again, you know? Just traveling around with your buddies, making people laugh, making people feel good. No better job in the world, I don't think, exists. Not for me, anyway. So big thank you to every single person that uh, that came out and spread the word. And um, we finished it all off at the Bella Concert Hall in Calgary, which is, I got to say, 
one of the most incredible venues I've ever played. Like it's, it is so beautiful. The architecture, the sound, the lighting, uh, it's pretty much brand new. So there's not even any like dents in the wall backstage or in the green room areas. You know, it's been kind of untouched, untouched comedic wilderness. And uh, heaven knows if I ever go back there, it'll not look the same, I'm sure. But uh, right now it is in pristine condition and uh, it was fantastic to be able to play that place. What a beautiful Beautiful venue, and thanks to the crowd that came out that night too. I had such a fun time on stage, and the time just seemed to to fall away. Before I knew it, I was at 60-odd, 70 minutes. It was nuts. And, um, yeah, thanks to everyone too who, who stuck around for the question and answer portion of the shows. Um, that was kind of fun to do and kind of let people know a little bit more about me, and, um, and I tried to answer your questions as sincerely as I could. So there were some really great ones out there. So, uh Thanks to all you who participated in that. So for me right now, I got a little bit of downtime. And then uh, I'm trying to get ready for, guess what? Just for last, everybody. Yeah. This is how life works, you know? I get off the ferry in Victoria a couple of weeks back. Myself and Donovan Deschner, my opening act, who, was, who was, did an amazing job on the tour. Such a good guy and a funny guy. And... um we're driving. We just get off the ferry. My phone rings. It's a Quebec number. I'm like, oh, there's going to be some telemarketer. Okay. There's going to be some automated thing. Congratulations. You've just won a Caribbean cruise. And I'm like, do I even answer it? Anyway, I go, what the hell? We'll have a laugh. If it, if it is a telemarketer, I go, hello. Turns out uh, it's Zoe from Just for Laughs inviting me to go and do a gala this year. I'm like, Oh, my Lord, of course, I would love to do that. So that was a pleasant surprise. So basically, I have to do eight minutes, and now I have to figure out what I want to do for that set. So I spent some time over the last few days trying to figure out what I want to include in that set. And uh, now I had to figure out timing-wise, does it work? Because you can't really be – it can't be six minutes. It can't be nine minutes. It's got to be eight. So you have to account for laughter and all those things. So these are the things – that comedians have to calculate while you're sitting there three or four beers in, you know, sitting there and going, Oh, this is good. I have to do all this months in advance just so it all works precisely. So I don't mess up a TV shoot. Okay. That's the work I got to put into it. You're welcome. Okay. Pre you're welcome. So that's what I'm going to be at for the next little while. And, uh, excited, man, to get back to Montreal. I haven't been there in a few years. So, uh, great city and um, I got a bunch of buddies who are going to be at the festival again this year as well so um, always a great time in Montreal and uh, looking forward to getting there uh, so let me set up this week's episode my guest this week is uh, the very funny Mr. Dan Quinn Dan is a uh, Alberta boy who's been living in Vancouver for quite a number of years He's been doing stand-up, I think, for over 20 years, believe it or not. He's not even that old, but he just started so young uh, that he's got that many comedic years under his belt. And uh, he had been golfing all day on the Saturday, and then he's like, no, why don't you pop by the hotel? We'll get this uh, interview done. And so I was really grateful for his time because I know as a comedian, sometimes you can lose energy throughout the day, and then you got a show that night, and you're like, now you got to talk to someone for an hour and change and and there's only so much energy left, you know, so I, I really appreciated uh, him giving me some time. And we had a fantastic chat about a number of things. But one of the great things I think, you know, you might want to listen for is 
just the origin of him starting his own comedy tour, which is called the Snowden Comedy Tour, which has just grown by leaps and bounds every single year. Um, of which uh, Dan is the founder of this of this uh, tour, but also one of the performers on it, and uh, just kind of the origin of of how he came up with the idea, why he wanted to do it, what he was going for, the feeling that he wanted to kind of achieve with it, and uh, he gets into all that. And I think there's a real uh, a real takeaway for every single person who's listening, whether you're in comedy or not, is uh, you know doing what makes you happy, man. That's that is. At the end of the day, the amount of times that we get driven in a direction for some reason that doesn't make us happy, but we do it anyway, it's phenomenal to me. And uh, Dan, Dan Quinn's career, especially with regards to this tour, has been an example of someone going, you know, this is what I'd like to do, so I'm going to do that. And, uh, and it's been a huge, massive success for him, so... Um, yeah, we had a really good chat about comedy, about the, uh, the craft of comedy, the work ethic and the business side of stand up as well, that I think a lot of folks are unaware of. If you're, if you're just a casual observer and if you just enjoy stand up, you probably don't know a whole lot about the nuts and bolts of what makes a tour work and the risks you have to take. And, uh, and we get into all that. And, uh, yeah, it was a really, really great chat. I hadn't seen Dan in a number of years, so it was kind of cool to just, uh, jump right into it and, uh, and let her rip. So, yeah, I hope you're going to enjoy this episode. Feel free to give me a review on the old iTunes because what that does is it boosts the popularity and then more folks discover the generators, you know? And, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, these are just conversations amongst people. Um, so please feel free to write a review on, uh, on iTunes. I would really, really appreciate that. And thanks to everyone who's been sending emails and uh, – giving me uh, some kudos and, and uh, passing on the, the good word that they're really enjoying the show. That's kind of why I put it out there in the world. Otherwise, I'd just have these conversations and not record them. But I thought, hey, you know, these are pretty good conversations. Why don't we just throw them out in the world? People can, can listen and be entertained. So uh, thanks to everyone for, for listening and for sharing uh, the podcast and stuff. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. And uh, I got some big guests coming up, so make sure you keep checking back and make sure you subscribe to The Generators. I got some great guests lined up in the coming uh, weeks. And, uh, yeah, man, just excited to be back in the groove here again and, and talking to people. And uh, I love it. I love I love having great conversations with people, and I learn something every single time. There's always something for me to take away and go, hmm, that's, that's some knowledge I didn't have. And... Uh, I think that's what great conversations do. They make you think. So here is my great conversation with comedian Dan Quinn. Shining down, good luck. Baby, got them open all over town. Strictly bitch, you don't play around. Cover much ground, got game by the town. Getting paid is a forte each and every day to play away. I can't get her out of my mind. I think about the girl all the time. All right, I do a proper intro later, like so. Don't feel like we're just gonna fucking jump into it. I'm in the uh, hotel room of Dan Quinn in Calgary, Alberta, where all comics live in between shows. This room is really nice now, actually. Like, I think I've been in this when it was the old. <laughs> they, st- you know what? This room is like they're better, but there's the one thing, and I, I asked when I checked in, I was like, oh, where am I? And they're like, oh, you're around the corner because it used to be right by the front desk. Yeah. You hear all that? 
but whoever put in like cobblestone uh, flooring <laughs> in a hallway should just be pulled out and shot. Like this isn't <laughs> jolly old England. So every time people are checking out in the morning, you're like every single bag that goes by. And it's probably like 9 a.m., but it feels like it's 630 in the morning to me. And I'm like, yeah, I just want to murder people. I just like, I'm like, why would who thinks like cobblestone? That'll be great for a living in Quebec City. Suddenly it's like, what the fuck? Uh, it's a heritage hallway. Don't nice. you know comedians sleeping late as yeah. you check out of your hotel with the uh, yeah. Um, so you started your weekend here last night uh, yeah. in Calgary. Show was good. You enjoyed it. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, both shows. Um, with Sean Lacomber, uh, killer, another killer. Funny, funny, funny comic who did not give a shit. He he did both shows, and I don't think he moved an inch away from the wall. <laughs> he leaned back the entire time and was uh, in I don't give a shit mode, <laughs> but I'm still hilarious. But just you know, you're not here to see me anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can headline too. <laughs> I'm emceeing as a favor. Here's I seven. headlined here Thursday when Dan didn't show up. <laughs> Here's seven new shows. Yeah. Here's seven new jokes I've never tried. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, that's hilarious. Yeah, Sean's a hilarious guy, too. Like it's, uh, how long have you been doing stand-up now? How many years is this for you? It'll be, it's 24. It'll be 25 September. It'll be my 25th anniversary. Insane. Yeah. Insane. It's funny because I, I was doing a show the other night. We did a Q&A at the end of it. And someone, uh, this guy was a comic. And he asked, he goes, when did you know you were going to make money at this? And I was like... I don't really know when I knew I was going to make money at it, but I knew I was going to take it serious after about three years. I was like, okay, I'm going to go all in and quit my day job and go for it. Yeah. Like, when did that happen for you? Do you remember? Like, I think I got serious month? way sooner than that. Like, I, so I was, I was living in Edmonton, and uh, I started writing jokes in the summer of, like, 92 when I graduated high school. And even that, like, to that, so maybe just after the summer, I went to university I I went and I just started. I had a notepad and I started writing jokes. And I had a notepad and I filled that notepad. I think I might have went through more than one for a full year. And then through that summer, I remember like going back home and thinking like, oh, I'm gonna get on stage and I'm just gonna rock, you know, and like <laughs> have all these people come up to me and all this stuff. Like remember mowing the lawn and like just having these jokes in my head and I'd written them all. And my buddy. Um, but I'd never been on stage, right? So I just, but I just had, I kept writing like for a year. And then, uh, I didn't even know how you get on stage. And before the end of my first year of university, um, my cousin is like, Hey, I got free tickets to Yuck Yucks, which used to be at the point at the time, right. uh, the old Yuck Yucks. And they moved the next year. Um, but, uh, he said, I got free tickets. And I was like, what, how do you get free tickets to a comedy show? <laughs> <laughs> Like, that possible? <laughs> like, what, what are you? What do you know? God? What are you, mom? The table right up front. Yeah, 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 yeah. Good fellas. Cr- crime don't pay. <laughs> That's um, right. So uh, he took me to the show, and uh, I remember Gord Painter was on. Right. Uh, Mike Damber was the middle, and Ken Valgartsen was the MC. So Gord Painter was the blind guy who's yeah. passed, and um, and I would just like I couldn't imagine laughing so hard in my entire life that show. But uh, even then, I still didn't know how you get on stage or anything. So uh, I went back to summer, and I was like, okay, I'm definitely going to do this. And even when I was at the club, I never thought, like, oh, I should just go up and find this information. I just was writing jokes. Right. I didn't understand any of it. I was a northern Alberta farm boy and didn't know anybody in show business or anything. So, so then uh, I went back to my second year of university at U of A, and my, uh, my buddy Shad, my best friend, my roommate, was um, – he saw an ad in the paper 
for comedians wanted. And he knew I was like, he's like, there you go. There's your chance. There's a, they want comedians wanted. Like, I don't know who puts an ad for comedians. Like that tells you how good this apply. Yeah. Yeah. The job. So I did, I, I, I dressed up in my best Randy river shirt, you know, the, Randy the big, river, yeah. the silk shirts with yeah. a circle on one side. There was a different color than the other one, you know, yeah. my uh, black dress pants that I had, which was, you know, best I could do to dress up. And I went in, I called the guy, and I was like, oh, he's like, come in at like 1 o'clock or whatever on Thursday or something or 2 o'clock. Maybe it was like, maybe it was like 2 o'clock or something like that on the Thursday and because uh, it was after class. And then uh, I went and I met with the guy, and uh, he's, I'm like, oh, I'm here for the comedian job. And he's like, well, have you ever done it before? And I'm like, nope, but I got my, all my jokes. I brought my notepad. Here you go. If you want to see those, those check out. <laughs> you might want to go to the third page. That one's a really good yeah, one right there. That one one's, there. I drew that well, one. That one's about farting in church. That one's pretty... <laughs> Solid. Pretty, st- pretty stellar. Uh, Looks uh, like my aunt. She yeah. loves that one. So um, then, uh, yeah. So uh, I, the guy's like, oh, well, you got to go to amateur night and, uh, you know, try this out and see if you can go. And I'm like, well, how do you do that? And he goes, oh, well, you go down to Yuck Yucks. They're calling Yuck Yucks at noon on Thursday. And you, if you, uh, if they pick you, you get on stage that night. And he goes, uh, he goes, you should go tonight to the club. So I went to the club and I'll never forget. And Pete Johansson was the middle act crazy and uh so i went and watched the show for the first like kind of watched differently now like before i would just like sit in the crowd and now i was like actually kind of watching it and i was like oh this is cool and i thought pete was the funniest guy in the show there's a headliner was a guy from seattle from portland i can't remember his name i think he he's passed now too but he had a guitar that would had an led screen on it and he would like play messages while he was playing (laughs) that was the big joke you know what i mean so that was this hilarious thing and i thought he was all right um, but Pete, I thought it was hilarious and I want to go meet him after. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, Oh, you can't go talk to comics. <laughs> I'm not in the mob. <laughs> just blow up there. Yeah, hey man, what's going on? You just can't walk up and talk to a comedian. And I shocked. remember like so wanting to go meet Pete, but I was like, I oh, I can't, you know? And uh <laughs> So the next week, um I went I called in at noon. I had to leave class early. Uh, I think it was like an anthropology class or something stupid that I didn't give a shit about. And uh, you call in noon, the class went to 1220. So I snuck out at like 1157, went to the payphone. Yeah. This is 93, right? So, you know, put my quarter in, called, and I'm like, can I go on the show tonight? And like, yeah, you're in. Probably was the only person calling at noon <laughs> at 93. You know what I mean? Like, I thought I had to be the first one. Yeah, like, late. I was like watching my yeah. watch. I'm like, 12 o'clock, boom, 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 boom. And I'll be the first <laughs> one. Like, tickets for a concert. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm the first caller. I'm the first caller. Do I win? Do I win the steak knives? Yeah. Uh, no. There, I, and I did that almost every day for a year. I'd call in and write at noon, never once cluing in, A, that they were going to give it to me, but B, that I was probably the only person calling in at noon. So, And the reason why you couldn't call in before noon is probably because nobody started work before then. No, no one was in the office. Yeah, yeah, no one was in the office. So, so I, I, uh, I, I go, and then uh, my, my buddies from university, they're like uh, – um, the uh like hey what are you doing tonight and i'm like we went golfing after and he's like oh you want a beer you want a beer and i'm like no you know i was an alberta farm boy so we'd always have like beer like was you know yeah. we'd quite common i'm like no no he's like what i'm like oh, i got something to do tonight he's like oh what do you got to do tonight and i'm like i'm doing something oh you can't fucking tell us you know what i mean <laughs> and i'm like okay dude i'm trying stand-up comedy for the first time and he's like and i didn't want anybody to go because i thought i was gonna suck i was the same way yeah, yeah. My best friend, Chad, he didn't even go. He's like, go. Well, if you do it again, I'll come back. But, like, let's you – and I didn't want that added pressure of yep. trying to make my friends laugh. Like, if I bombed in front of strangers and walked away, I'd just be like, whatever. Yeah. Do you find that – just sort of interrupt, but, like, do you find it amazing now when you watch someone go on stage for the first time and they've brought 30 friends from work? And yeah. And, like, 
I can't imagine going up with that pressure the first time. Like it was, I was already nervous enough without Joanne from work and your boyfriend's there and whoever I'm like, and also the response is not going to be true. Right. Cause they're going to be so in your corner. It's like, it's not even a real gauge as to how you did that that person who brings out 30 people the first time he does it always sucks because he's already thinks he's good. Yeah, it, yeah. It's like, it's one of the comedy, as soon as you think you've got it, yeah. it just goes, it's like a surfing wave that's like, you really think you know what you're yeah. doing? Yeah. Whack! <laughs> and it just smokes the shit out of you. You have to always think that you're going to kind of suck. Yeah. Like there's, I don't know what it is. Like not, and you don't have to think that, oh my God, I'm going to bomb, I'm terrible, I'm nervous. No, no. But you have to be like aware. As soon as you just think you can just go out and do yeah. it, it's like a boxer, you know, like, oh, I'm going to beat the shit out of this guy. You just get cracked in the nose. You're right. You have to be, okay, I'm ready. On I'm edge. ready yeah. on edge. And uh, like, and so when guys do that, I never, I've never seen somebody the first time with that much confidence and coming with confidence ever do well. Yeah. Ever. Like yeah. they always, it's like when guy bring out 30, his friends might laugh, but the rest of the audience is like, what the hell's going on? Yeah. There? And the second time I find out that <laughs> those friends aren't there, it's like, that's when you come crashing down to earth. It's like, these are the same jokes. Yeah. They killed last Tuesday at Orange, and you see their face change. Like, yeah. Yeah. Well, well, this is not the reaction. And now <laughs> I already quit my job. <laughs> yeah, exactly. My boss was here last week. I told him to go fuck himself. <laughs> yeah, right. I've got a new career. Yeah. I'm the greatest comedian that's ever lived. What'd you think of that, Carl? Huh? <laughs> you like that? Yeah. <laughs> Take your job and shove it up your ass. I'm going to be a headliner playing arenas <laughs> Tuesday morning. You're back. Hey, with that, uh, blow it up there. I felt bad. It was, uh, yeah, yeah. It's amazing. Can I put at least a little funny in our memos? Can I put a little <laughs> something in there? So you get, you get, going you go up your first time you say, oh, oh sorry, so, so, so yeah. you the back pedal so, so yes, back pedal so my buddy invites like eight friends so now i got eight friends and now we're on the golf course the first time the first time so eight friends there and now the worst is is like now i'm kind of nervous and he goes and then he now thinks he's gonna help out with the show <laughs> so he's going like he goes hey, hey you know what'd be funny is if you walked on stage with your pants undone and said this isn't the bathroom and I was like nervous, laugh. I was like, ah, yeah, maybe that'd be funny. So then I'm like, okay, I guess that's funny. So I have all my jokes prepared and I walk on stage with my pants undone. I go, hey, this isn't the bathroom. It is so silent. Like he doesn't even laugh. It's his joke. He doesn't even smirk. Nothing. Oh, he's doing like, it wrong. Yeah. That's so, not the way we're- so I'm like, oh no. So I grab the mic. And I just hang on like this. I had like in my head planned, you know, like pointing at people almost, you know, like that's it. The first wave took me down hard, got punched in the nose. And then I was like, okay, so I grabbed it. And then I started doing my jokes. Right. And then boom, like it was like going. And all of a sudden by the end, it was just crushing. Like I did so well, like right after the first show, like I had the managers come up, like um, uh, Bill Medak was the manager at the time. He's like, you're the best guy we've seen the first time in like a year and a half and all these guys. And it was like good, but like it started out so terrible. And it wasn't like, it was just like, boom. And then when I got into my jokes and I did the farting in church joke, uh, (laughs) (laughs) it destroyed. And then it was like. Like, and yeah. so then so you, so you have that experience yeah and then when do you go oh this is going to be a career this is going to be the thing i'm going to do i think after that night i started going like okay i'm going to go back and then i went back every single week and then it, like i would leave class i started skipping classes because i was like okay i leave i gotta make sure I make a phone call at noon because still want <laughs> to get that thing in. To get <laughs> I know there's a lot of folks calling. Yeah, I don't yeah. want to be 205. I don't get a spot. Like now, now there's probably 30, 40 people calling in. Yeah. In 1993, there was like me and the same other three people. And right. then like hopefully they'd get a fifth person. You know right. what I mean? And I was the guy that called in every day. And yeah. like I was so focused. Back then, actually, if you got to the club early enough as a patron, you may yeah, have yeah. a shot. <laughs> <laughs> like, hey, or you, you can, can do be seven minutes. On stage. You get a free drink. <laughs> 
So well, what do you think, Joanna? <laughs> no, don't do it. Don't do it, Mike. Don't do it. Yeah. Uh, so okay, so you're you you had the bug right away. Like you were yeah. like, this is because you clearly you had it before you even started. Like you were writing jokes. Yeah. Always, oh, also, I guess also with the intention too, so that you were going to go do it. The I forgot a little bit of that story too. Was in I was also really into acting and movies and stuff. But again, I didn't know anything right about how to get into show business. I didn't know how you get an agent. Nothing. I knew zilch about show business i mean i found out when i would just go to things and then people would tell me but i didn't know like now i think people have much more awareness like i i knew you needed an agent maybe for acting but i had no idea where you go like do you apply like right. you know like i didn't know any of this so i did a i saw an ad in the paper for uh, a place they were doing plays at the end of university and uh you could uh, go in and audition and i i don't even remember how i saw that i think it was in the university paper so I went down, and I didn't know anything. I was like, well, I'll memorize to be or not to be by Hamlet. You there know you what I mean? Like, that's what you're they yeah. like, come in with the monologue. And I'm like, well, that's one. That's, that's one. <laughs> right? I guess? That's the only one I know. You know what I mean? <laughs> it was either that or are you talking to me? Hey, I you wrote talking this. To me? I wrote this. <laughs> uh, hey, that's actually Hamlet. Okay, yeah. you hey, got I, me on that one. You got I'm me busted, on that one. Uh, <laughs> so, so, yeah, but it was a play, and I did that, and I got the play. Cool. Um, so you were just crushing it right at the gate. First time on stage, crush. <laughs> yeah. First audition, get it. You're like, yeah. ah, roses for me. <laughs> Whatever. I gotta go kiss the prettiest girl in the room too. Ah, what are you doing? I love you. Like it's amazing. Now that's my me too moment. But whatever, you know, things. I got a little cocky in that moment. <laughs> you thought, he just came up and started kissing me, <laughs> and I kind of liked it. I don't know what was going on. Just bulletproof Dan Quinn. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, so yeah, keep going. Yeah. So then, uh, then uh, yeah, I had the bug, and I was like, okay, I'm gonna do this. So then that year, and then after that first year, then I won the, the, the amateur contest in Edmonton, which flew me to Toronto. And then I kind of got in with Yucks and stuff like that. Because um, I placed, I think, in the Toronto one as well, but like third or something. And then um, from there, I moved to Vancouver and was already – so I was working within about a year. Crazy. That's crazy. So crazy. I was, yeah, getting like – the Alberta gigs. If I would have stayed in Alberta, I could have been working really steady. But within a year, I was like done. I'm like, I quit. I quit university four months in. So in the second semester, I quit. After that semester, went back and told my parents that I was quitting university to be a stand-up comedian, and that went amazing. And they were like, finally. My mom told me she would disown me <laughs> and not give us anything, and I was like, we don't have anything. <laughs> like, <laughs> Like, I wasn't giving up anything. Like, my yeah. parents are poor farmers. It's like, oh, you're not going to get, like, seven grand? Oh, geez. They weren't even paying for my university. Like, I was going in debt to university. Like, we're not going to give you up. You're not giving me any help now. Yeah. Things are expensive. I'm, I'm leaving to make money. I'm accumulating debt every day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's okay. Getting, this is getting me in the right direction, quitting yeah, university. Exactly. Yeah. But you think about it now, like, because I've had other friends who are comedians who've had that talk with their folks, right? Yeah. And you forget how insane it must be for them on the other end of it. Because as much as you didn't know about stand-up, they would have known even little. They, they would have been less, more, right? Like they'd have been yeah. like, oh, even less so. What are you, what are you talking about? What is, what is that? What are you, how does one even, and the whole concept of the starving artist yeah. and, you know, like, oh, you're going to ask us for money every day. And yeah. I can imagine, you know, we're so passionate about what we want to do, but these people are like, what is it? What's it? What are you going to do? Like, you know. My parents would understand better if I came and said I was gay. Right. They, they probably, because they would have been, Probably equally freaked out 
but then they would at least try to be understanding. Right. In comedy, they thought they could still talk me out of it. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> right. like if we just put enough pressure on, then eventually he'll stop. Like, they could have, well, he's gay. What can we do? We tried our best growing up. You know what I mean? That was your fault with the dolls. But they, <laughs> I told you about to buy him a pink shirt. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it was salmon. Um, but, so, yeah, they didn't know how to handle it. And they, I never took any money from them. So it partly, I think, motivated me. Because I was like, okay, well, I'm never going to ask you for a dime, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to make money from it. And I, so I was like, really, like, for, probably for a while, like, I'm trying to prove my parents wrong. Right. You know, like, hey, I don't need you. I can do this. Um, but, you know, I had, a, like, within a bit, I was having kind of decent breaks. But the thing was, is there still wasn't much money. Right. Like, I wasn't making much money, but I was working and getting, like, things and going, like, really quickly to different things. Like, I was able to tour across the country very quickly and get into all the clubs um, because, you know, the competition wasn't as strong back then. And I was – I had written, like I said, for a year. Right. So I already had, like, a lot of jokes. And yep. I don't know why or how, but I had I had written, like, segues, the structure of my jokes looking back even then. There's still jokes I told – the first time on stage I can do on I could do on stage tonight and it'd work. Right. And I so, don't know why yeah, or how. That yeah, where happened. where did that inkling and that spark come from so early? If you had, if you felt it was so because I, I felt the same way, like I, I wasn't writing like that, but I knew up in the back of my mind I wanted to be a stand up, but it always felt like it was just something on my television. I had no access to it, living in Newfoundland. There wasn't even a club to go to to check it out. Right. Uh, did you start here in Calgary? Yeah, my first yeah. time was the the stage here. Right, it right. was at the at the Laugh Shop, which was Yucks at the time. Um, but and I came here, went to a workshop, and then next thing you know, a week later, it was like, hey, you want to go on? But I didn't have that inkling of I'm going to start writing until I got to Calgary. I was like, okay, I'm, now I'm going to definitely try it. Now I'm going to start writing. So how much okay. writing did you do before the first time when you're like, okay, here's my five minutes. I'm going on stage. And I wonder what that process is for most people, especially people that don't make it. If they're like, oh, I'm going to do it, and they get on stage that night. I know. Like, I know. I, wouldn't, I can't imagine doing that. Like it took me a year. Yeah. And a year of like I had practiced – even when I knew I was going to do it, I had written it out and typed out all my jokes and everything and had the segues right. written. So each joke flowed. I practiced it in front of the mirror, you knew that it. sort of thing. I knew the set. Yeah. Like I knew it well. Which is so much of it the first time. Yeah. Like, can you just go up there and deliver something that's coherent and funny yeah. and has punchlines and setups that you automatically look the part? Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? I started writing... Uh, to correct myself, I started writing before I left to move to Calgary, so maybe a few months prior. Right. But it still would have been almost a year by the time I would have got, actually physically got on stage. Right. So that's a year. So, so I had very time to at least yeah. weed through some stuff and go, that shit, that shit, that shit, this I think has a shot, and then put it into somewhat of a set. I'm amazed now when I go watch people go for the first time, and I can tell, like, you haven't spent enough time just with the material to yeah. know – Hey, I'm going to time this out, and I'm going to actually know where the breaks are and the pauses. Like, just that advantage is you're already a step ahead of the game if you can just go up with that, and you have more confidence because you know your stuff. One hundred percent. It's you like know? an audition or anything, knowing your lines versus yeah. not. And the you know, um, the, yeah, the whole idea of like that people can understand how intense it feels when you walk on stage too, and if you're not prepared, like you have to be deliriously confident. To walk on and just be like okay with that, yeah. Because you have like two hundred people all focused right on you, spotlights where you can't even see. That's the other thing you don't realize. And the, so many comments come up the first time, like, "Man, those lights are bright." Yeah, yeah, they are really, really bright. Yeah, like it's the most. It's probably like the first time you walk on stage is like the most intense feeling you'll ever have in your life of just like being so. <laughs> 
self-aware. Yeah. I think it's like, I think it's comparable to birth. Like the minute <laughs> you've left the yeah. embryonic sac and that air, cold air hits you and light hits you, you're yeah. like, what is this? I yeah. think it's, it's the only other time that remotely would be close. Yeah. It's, it's you know? so intense. Like you can't, sitting in the audience is so completely different. You're one of 200 people looking that way versus flipping that around where you're one person looking at 200 people all staring at you. You know, that's why so people are freaked out by public speaking, but public speaking too, most people don't have the expectation that we have. Like if you're just doing a speech, you just have to get through the speech. You know what? People are judging us every second. They're not just going like, okay, okay, we're just blah, blah, blah. Like they're judging you and you know the response. Right. Like a, like a song, you can go all the way through the song, you know, have emotional, do all this thing. And at the end, people are like, oh, that's good. Yeah. And maybe if you killed it, there's extra applause. Right. But you're going to get, unless you really <clears throat> suck, you're going to get still get like this. But, you know, you're waiting till the end. Yeah. We know every moment Measured. how it's going. Measured. Measured. <laughs> All the time. Yeah. Like in five minutes, we've checked in 60 times to see if there's laughs, <laughs> right? Like one song can last five minutes, and at the end, you're like, oh, I guess you guys didn't like that one. Yeah. Anyway, here's another one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's funny you said that because uh, Alan Doyle from Great Big C, he was yeah. on the podcast as a guest, and he goes, he said that. He goes, I don't know how you guys do it. He goes, because I literally can just pound them with sound for three and a half minutes, yeah. and at the end, they're going to applaud. Whether right. they like it or not, they're going to clap. Of and course. he goes, that's all I need. I retune, I do the next song. Whereas you're right, every 10, 15 seconds, they're like, mm -mm, yeah. no, that one was okay. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, And you feel that. And I think you're right to get back to your earlier point. If you don't have that set in your head and you're confident, when all that stuff comes the first time, if this isn't solid, your act, and you know it inside out, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna lose it. Like You will not be able to get through it. I've yeah. seen it happen a thousand times. You know? Yeah, and, and then it's obvious. It's very obvious. Yeah. And like, you know, it's painful, too. That's the thing, too, is the audience, they... A, like you have to be a really bad singer for them to feel sorry for you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, point, yeah. uh, you, like yeah. it doesn't, you don't have to be that yeah. bad of a comedian before uh. they start going. Like I know people that don't want to go to comedy shows. They're like, sometimes I feel bad for the comedian. I and I feel like, I'm like, well, that's, if you feel bad for me, like, yeah. like you, I, I'm probably shouldn't have been on stage that night. Something else happened. <laughs> exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, exactly. sorry, I got in a car accident and I'm bleeding through the head. I just, I figured yeah. I could do my yeah, set. This doesn't happen normally. But, yeah, uh, yeah. but you're right. It, it's, uh, I've said it to other comedians too when they're starting out. And, and again, back to, you know, bringing a bunch of people to the show and it's your first time. I'm like, you better remember like those people, like you're going to go up on stage and you're in your own little world. But those friends of yours that, they, that you brought, they're nervous for you because yeah. they've never seen you do it before. If it goes badly, they've also brought other friends, and now the whole night's on them. Like, whose yeah. idea was it to come to this shit? This is yeah. horrible. Is that your friend up there dying? Like, yeah. And it's like, oh, yeah, I thought he'd be better. Like, yeah. So there's a lot of pressure on them. That's part of the reason, too, why I was like, I don't want anyone coming to see me for a little bit. Like, I want to kind of just get some level of confidence and, comfort and comfortable up there before I'm like, okay, now I can tell someone that you should come to this thing, you know? Because yeah. There's a pressure to that. I know friends who've had that. They go, man, I went to see a buddy of mine. He was trying stand-up. wasn't good, and it was really awkward for them because the audience gets it's, nervous It's also you. awkward for them the next day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? You don't, it, yeah, you don't blow over it. It's, it's like you're having a one-night stand with a coworker, and you didn't finish. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you came too soon, and now the next day they're like, we're like, I was really into you, and now I'm just awkward around you. Like, yeah, there's stickers as you walk by the photocopier. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, they're like, hey, oh, Jeff. Guy. Yeah. <laughs> and everybody in the office is going to know yeah. how you did. Like, they're going to be like, oh, so you went and saw Jeff last night? How was it? 
Ooh. You know, it's Ooh, tough. Yeah. You know what? It's, it's hard. I felt, I think he tried, you know, he had some good ideas. Yeah. Like they'll look, they'll you know try what? to find a nice shirt. It was from nice. Randy River and it was, uh, it was yeah. silk and it was, it was, it was well dressed. <laughs> yeah. Know you know, but, I just, uh, uh, he missed the, f- he'll be, he'll be coming to work for a while. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You probably don't even get the next promotion because yeah. they're like, this guy doesn't handle things well. Yeah, clearly you're not ready for that bump up. Um, yeah. It is interesting to to think, too, about, like, you know, making it as a career. Like, for me, it's 14 and a half years now. Yeah. And I still think, 14 and a half years working or 14 and a half years since you started? Since I started, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I would have And left, doing okay now. And doing okay. But I, like, I would have left my full-time job after three years. And, again, I think about that now, and I go, like, that is an insane leap to do for any of us to go. Yeah. I'm just going to leave the real world and nine to five and benefits and all that stuff and go chase this thing. Yeah. And you're right. The money, which people don't were believe. Were you married at the time too? No. Were you single? I had a girlfriend at the time. Same. A serious girl. Di- different girl. Different girl. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Serious relationship at the time who was very supportive as well. She yeah. was like, you should do this. You should go. So that was great. Like yeah. I had nothing but folks pushing me towards it, which was great. But I look back on it now and people, again, back to that first question, you know, when should you do it? It's like, I, it's almost a compulsion, man. Like you don't, you know, to say, oh, the money's there, and I just step into this, and it's all, it's not that, because yeah. there's no money at all to start. Yeah. It's literally just, you feel like, no, I was born to do this, I've just discovered it, and now it's all in. That's the way I, I look yeah, at it. Yeah, which is interesting, too, because even though you have that, it's still <laughs> really hard. Yeah. You know, because it's like, it's like, uh, comedy sometimes is like, I feel like it's like a sport, like golf. Like, I, I like golf because there's a certain thing of like, you know, you can be good at golf. Like, Guys that'll like I play with a buddy who is the best golfer I've ever seen, and like every time I watch him, I'm like, oh my god, like you're so good. And he's actually a professional golfer, but he doesn't. He's not on any of the tours because it's so hard to be the top 100 in the world. Yeah, the the and the the level of that is finite difference, and it's like sometimes just a given day. Yeah, like on a given day, he might beat Tiger Woods or any of those guys, but those guys are going to win more often. So even when you get there, you're like, oh, man, you're really good at this. But then that level of like the top few guys, you got to get in that is like finite. And on any given day, you couldn't be better or a little bit worse than them, too. And and then you have to have to really be successful. You have to have the lucky breaks or be at the right place at the right time. And, you know, this this industry goes through trends, you know, um, which is interesting because it's a it's a comedy is bigger than it's ever been. But it's probably harder for white straight males than it's ever been. Right. Where it used to be quite easy, and now it's there's a because it was mostly for a long time, and that's because for the honestly, it was mostly white guys that wanted to do it. Yeah. That's it, like even now you look at most nights signing up, it's mostly white males, yep. and then you know a few females, and then it gets now. Yep. But now you know thanks to Russell Peters, yep. obviously has opened up the doors <clears throat> for a lot more people that want to do it. Yeah. That's the other thing too. It's not like people go like it's not like. Um, the doors were closed to all these to other ethnicities. I mean, there's always been obviously amazing black comedians and stuff yep. like that, but it just not a lot of the people wanted to do it. They didn't no. really see it. I don't think most Indian people saw it as a way to make a living. Maybe no. before Russell, no. And then all of a sudden now we're seeing a lot more, and that's great. So you're looking at a sh- all these shows where like that. So it's you've got like this competition's gotten so much broader. Yep. And we're dealing with now a competition of the world. Like we're competing against comedians from every country now because they speak English. Right. They do that and they have YouTube and they can upload videos and all that sort of stuff. So the competition is like it's there's more spots, but there's more competition, like tenfold. Yeah. Than there used to be for only like twice as many positions. 
but yep. tenfold the amount of uh, people trying to do it. I agree. At least. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and we're competing against, like, for if you put a video up, people are like, oh, why don't you just put something up on YouTube and go viral? And you're like, okay, so yeah, that you're just an idiot. Um, <laughs> trying to throw a pebble in the ocean and hope, hope it turns into a tidal wave because yeah. you put up a video on YouTube and if somebody's like, people are like, oh, maybe they'll just search comedy. No, they won't. They're, because they can watch any comedian around the world from any period of time. Yeah. So in the 70s, you competed against, in the 80s, 70s, 80s, and even the 90s, you were only competing against your peers that year, that moment. I'm competing against Richard Pryor from 1967. Right. Chris Rock from 94. I'm competing against every comedian from all times. I'm competing against Australian comedians from 1988. Like, there's, it's every bit, you can watch any comedian anytime, anywhere in the world now. Yeah. So, so we're not just going like, okay, who's the hottest of 2018? I'm going to get that. Like, if, if we were just competing against 2018, right. it would be difficult. Yes. We're competing against Anything every single time. My, my buddy sent me a text like, Phil, Phyllis Diller is hilarious. He was watching a video from her from like you got 1963, that he, yesterday. <laughs> so I'm like, that's, that's our competition Dude, we're now. looking for Phyllis Diller tickets. Yeah, Can yeah. you cook us up? Do you know her? You, <laughs> who's her? <laughs> I know Can't her grandchildren, if that, that helps. Can't find her website. Do you know any connections? <laughs> I can get you yeah. a dilly bar. Maybe that would be about the best. <laughs> and you're right, too. Like, I think it's not just you're competing with them in terms of, you know, um, on social media. But you're, that's now people's reference point. Like, people, their, their library and Rolodex of stand-up is now far greater than what it would have been for a person, you know, 20 years ago. So they go, oh, you know who I used to love? Yeah. Uh, you know, prior or whatever you're like, so you're even to sell tickets now for shows, people are like, yeah, I don't know. It's not, you know, like it, it's, it's raised the bar just because people have more knowledge and more experience of stand up. Yeah. And, and you know, you know, interesting thing is like, if you like, let's, if your knowledge too, like your jokes level, like um, what you can do is like, if you look at Chappelle and stuff, like, I mean, I love Chappelle, but there's a lot of Chappelle jokes that are very derivative, um, and of, of Richard Pryor. Right. Including like a lot of his racial stuff. If you watch Richard Pryor's specials, he's Chappelle's got some of the exact same jokes that Richard Pryor told. But but nobody knows that because in 93, they're not watching like a couple of comedians knew Richard Pryor. Right. The general public doesn't. Now there's people that weren't born till 2000 that can watch Richard Pryor's or whatever. And they're, they they know all of that stuff. Right. Yeah. You know, it's uh, it's pretty amazing. Like we so. It's it's harder and harder. It's like, yeah. but in in that way too, it raises the bar constantly. True, right? true. Which is good too, right? You know, like the level of a show now is so much better than it probably was twenty years ago. You know, of, of like the even the openers and the middles. True. And, you know, to, to become a good middle now, you have to be pretty strong. Like you used to be a weak headliner. Like before, would be like most of the strong middles now. Like right. you're just not going to headline if you're not like a killer yeah. killer act anymore. And it's tough now too, like in the comedy club world where people now have access to bookers would have access to any comedian in the world. It's, right. it's, it's literally a Google click and a phone call or an email. Yeah. Whereas back in the day it was like, you know, and I think with the old yuck yuck system of like, here's my guys, here's the 220 comics that are going to run through the comp, the clubs in a year. Yeah. Now it's literally, you know, any club can book anyone at any time if they have the dollars for it. You right. Know? Or even if you don't, I mean, the amazing thing is like, we don't have like, I book hecklers and yep. 
we don't have much of a budget. It's really just a bar gig, right? Yep. You know, the people like, but it's at the end of the day, it's a two-nighter bar gig. And, yep. you know, luckily that Aaron and those guys do an awesome job. And they it's do. a great, cool great venue. Room. And great room. I love it. It's yep. fun to play. And I think that it's really special room. But the budget isn't what a comedy club is. We only have 170 seats. You know, we got two shows, Friday and Saturday. Right. So our budget just isn't. We charge 12 bucks. You know what I mean? It's still, I'd like to see it a little bit more. Um, but whatever Aaron likes to keep it there. So budget's limited. But I'm... I booked a guy from L.A. last week. Uh, there's Australians that have come through. Like I, The amount of comedians from around the world that we can get in to do that show is like phenomenal. Even it's for cool. that's not even a big budget room. Yeah, it's great. So if you've got any sort of budget, like you can I, do anybody. And I think the great thing about great rooms is it spreads in the comedy community. Like People will say they'll take less money. If yeah. it's like, no, it's a great room. They take good care of you. Um, you know, there's a hotel room, the things included. You're in Victoria, which yeah. is one of the most beautiful cities in, in Canada. So I think all those things are in its favor, right? Which make right. it great. I mean, I was there two weeks ago, and it's like, I still, on the calendar, regardless of what I do in a year, I go, awesome, I get to go to Victoria and play Hecklers. That's still a highlight of the year, regardless of what yeah, else I'm Yeah, and it is doing, for me, so. too. And I, and I like the city. It's yeah. a fun city. It's kind of cool, and it's actually got a good food culture yep. and stuff like that. And it's kind of cool, because I play Hecklers, and then when we do Snowed In, we do the Royal Theater, which Beautiful. is like 1,440 seats, you know, and it's a cool enough city because like in the bigger cities, it's tougher for us because we're competing against, you know, Chris Everything. Rock. Like the when we were did Vancouver, Ricky Gervais was there a week before us doing two nights in the Orpheum or whatever. So we're competing against the biggest names where Victoria doesn't quite get that. So we can actually in the word of mouth. Like we started like I think, you know, probably like three or four hundred the first year. And I think this last year we were just under fourteen hundred. That's crazy. So. Because it's a small enough community, that you can do that, and then it's like a cool city, but it's not big enough where we're competing against, right? You know, Chris Rock and you Ricky would Gervais, be one you know? of the biggest shows coming through that year. Like that's yeah. a legitimate thing. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> let's get into that a little bit because I, I think one of the strengths that you had ever since I've known you, I think you seem to have a real grasp of the business side of of uh, entertainment and being a stand-up comedian. It seems, and no knock against most comedians, it's just that most of them are in it for the, hey, man, I get to tell jokes, we get to party a little, travel a little bit, awesome. Yeah. Whereas I think you took it a little bit more seriously to the point of, okay, what's, how does this work behind the scenes and what's the breakdown of dollars here? And I think that's something I've also adopted over, say, the last yeah, six, years. Yeah, you've been doing your last few years, you've yeah. been doing your own tours. But you, and you, when you do them, you just start learning. You learn quickly. Yes. Because you make some mistakes. <laughs> yeah, that was a horrible They're, choice. Oh, man, I have, I have some bad ones, too. But Everybody why? goes, oh, you're so good. And I'm like, most of the time. Yeah. There's a few times <laughs> where, oh, what my is, God. What is, that's so true. But what is it? what was it about you that made you go, okay, Here's one road I can go and be like, you know, the circuit comedian and, and that'll be a life for me. And there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. But you obviously had a bigger vision and bigger plan for yourself because for the folks who are listening who don't know about the Snowden comedy tour, just kind of talk about the epicenter of that and where that idea came from and why you wanted to kind of do it on your own terms. This project. Well, I mean, it's, it's something that sort of developed over a lot of years. And uh, even before Snowden, there were sort of different incarnations in the sense of uh so I was always very aware of the big picture. And it, it's, I think it's one thing I'm like a lot of guys. Look, here's my joke. They get on stage and tell the jokes. I've always looked at the world. I mean, and I think that that's what helps with my comedy too. But like what's going on? I, I notice trends. I notice things like that. I look at things going. And I even from the very beginning, I would see comedians and be like, okay, so you've been at Yuck Yucks for 18 years and you're only here making this much. Like that's not – there's a like and you started seeing like you could look around and you start take a couple months and you start meeting guy after guy and you're like 
So why, if that's the best, like where do you, I didn't want to get to a point where I was just headlining for Yuck Yucks. Right. I was like, if I, I realized when I, I always said to myself, if I became a AAA headliner for Yucks, I made a mistake. And when I got there, I was like, you got to fix this because there just doesn't go anywhere. Yeah. Because there's no, nothing past that. They don't pay you more. And I was getting frustrated because I'd reached a point where I was starting to become a draw at the clubs and not a draw like in any like Russell Peters, that sort of way, but in a draw of like knowing I was getting 50 or 100 people. Like when we would do Vancouver, I'd play Vancouver and I could every show would be sold out. They'd be adding seats and they wouldn't give me a dime more. And I'm like, I was here three weeks ago. You didn't sell this many tickets. I know. And I always paid attention. I went to university for business. Like that's what I was at U of A. Right. So I was always on the business side of it. And I paid attention. Like when I did a club, I know how many people was there. I know this, I know what the ticket price is and I'm kind of running numbers and stuff always. So even before, so before snowed in, I had started promoting shows a bit on my own. And I did a few, like I did a couple with Damon Schritter and Rob Pugh and we did some legions and stuff and th they were doing okay. You know, and we're just like 10 bucks a ticket. I handled the newspaper ads is what I did back then and, and do all that. And yucks would flip out on me. Judy and Nancy would get mad every once in a while. And I, I always just sort of like, it was funny cause I worked for yucks for like 14 years and I always sort of had like, okay, okay. Like, yeah, whatever you guys say. And then just did whatever I wanted. I always worked the independent clubs in Vancouver, yeah. never did that. And then every once in a while they'd call and read me out. And I actually did get fired one point for booking another club. And cause they weren't, when they weren't headlining me and I'm like, well, all these guys are offering me way more money and I don't care, you know? So yeah. I just was like, and then I left yucks, like I guess in 2008 or nine, 2008 end of it so um but i was starting to do that and then so snowed in was a bit of a fluke in the sense of i in 2008 was actually doing a show here in calgary and uh in february and uh i'd gotten and i was snowboarding already at the time and i'd left la i, I was living in la from 2005 to 2007 and i was just wasn't happy L.A. comedy was terrible in L.A. from 05 to 07. I'd get on at the improv on a Thursday night. There'd be 20 people there. It was just terrible. All the clubs were dead because it was the end. Nobody knew what was going on. Like, so in 99 was the end of like the boom of comedy. And that's when I was supposed to have a development deal with Disney. That fell through with Who Wants to Millionaire. And then the whole comedy collapsed. Stand-up collapsed, everything, because nobody knew. There was no Netflix, nothing. Nobody knew what was coming next. What was coming next. And they, they, the networks had stopped putting money into comedy because they were like, we'll just do reality TV. No more development deals. No more development deals. Yeah. It ended. Like Mine was, would have been the last one, and they, it ended because we didn't sign it fast enough. And if we had just signed it like at, at the festival or anything, we would have been there. And they pulled it all by September because Who Wants to be a Millionaire went number one right across the air. And then moving it to four nights a week. I don't know if you remember that. It was the, it was the number one show on TV. Oh, right, yeah. Regis Feldman got $20 million a year. And Disney, which owned a, bought ABC that year, was supposed to do my deal. And they were like, they, they gave it all to Regis. Complete they shift, just complete yeah. shift. And I'll never forget so the Regis words my agent. Regis owes you money. I lost, yeah, well, uh, we'd gotten down, to, we, we started at 500 and then it was, we settled at like 200,000 US and the Canadian dollar was at 66 cents. Oh man. So it was over 300,000 Canadian in Ooh. 1999. Wow. So that would have bought me a place straight up. Yeah. And a car and still had money left over. Yeah. I just needed a pen to paper sooner. That's right? it. Yeah. And then they just canceled it all. So, uh, but Ouch. then comedy sucked. Comedy sucked for a long time because nobody was getting development deals. Nobody would like the clubs went down and then i came back and I, I left la and i was like okay well fuck this i'm gonna have fun 
So I actually remember the sort of the conversation in LA where of course, as soon as you're leaving LA, these sort of things happen, right? I was there for two years. Nobody gave a shit about me. If they came out to a show, sometimes people come up like, Hey, I'm from Fox. Hey Dan, let us uh, know if anything happens for you. Cause they didn't even know. Right. They, they couldn't do anything. They couldn't, they couldn't like, unless you got cast in something, everybody was handcuffed. They couldn't, they, yeah. nobody had money, yeah. nothing. So before Netflix, all this stuff, so this this person from LA from CAA this agent finally was like hey what are you doing and I'm like just just chatting with me well, I'm going moving back to Vancouver next week they're like oh we're from CAA you shouldn't do that blah blah, blah. and I'm like well, what can you do for me and she's like how much you make a week we can get you more money and all this sort of stuff and I go I'm going snowboarding next week I'm making a thousand bucks my friends are coming can you do that for me and she's like what do you mean and I'm like can you make my life more fun because <laughs> I'm not having fun so I just decided in that moment like just before then I'm done chasing the business I don't care. I'm chasing my life from then on. So the next year, so that was the end of 2007. So then in the 2008, um, I was in Calgary, got free passes to, uh, to either Lake Louise or to um, Fernie. Right. Two snowboarding passes from Rockstar. My buddy was working there, and he uh, gave them to me. And I, had, I was doing MC week at the club, headline week at the club. So I had this Sunday, Monday kind of off, and then Tuesday off. So... Um, I decided, okay, I'll see, I'll go to, so let's go to Lake Louise. And then it started pounding snow, just pounding, pounding. And I had the hotel room here at the Blackfoot. So I'm like, I'm going to drive to Fernie. Fernie was pounding. And I drove through, like I left at eight o'clock at night, booked a hotel, made it at about 1230 in the morning. The highway was so bad. And I was going through, I had a Dodge Neon. It was a SX 2.0. I, I, I had one of those. Yeah, did you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was the SX Champagne color too. Oh, really? <laughs> I, had a, I had a gray one with the, nice. the, like, spoiler? the spoiler on the yeah, back, you know? all right, all right. So hot. Oh, comedian's car, guys. Yeah, comedian's, comedian's car. car. <laughs> that or your daughter's. One of the two. Yeah, you're exactly. Two. Who can we borrow? And I went through these snow banks, like driving. And when I was like, I was like, oh, this isn't good. And I went to the pass nearby Fernie there. Yep. And uh, I, I actually got out of the vehicle. I couldn't see the road. There was so much snow that because um, it had snowed almost a meter at this point. So there's so much snow. I got out. I walked across the road and marked where the edge of the road was. Like, like okay, where does the highway end? Because right. I don't know. And I'm like, okay. So it's there to there. That's roughly where it starts going. Because with the snow, it you might look like it's still road, but could actually be a drop because yeah. cause it's just level. So I walked it. I stomped. And then, okay, got back in. Just drove right down the middle of the road. Nobody else on the highway. Right. Made it through. They closed the highway like after me. I wake up. There's another foot of snow on my car. It's minus 25. And uh, it was it snowed almost 180 centimeters in the one night. And it's and the people talk about this in Fernie that year. So I went and it was like I snowboarded all day. Even got a little frostbite, but I wouldn't leave. It was so amazing, and I was just still sort of newish to snowboarding at that point. Right. But this was the most amazing. It was champagne powder, like you could just do no wrong. Like you, you had to be on black diamonds to get down the mountain. Right. It was so crazy. So that night I went to dinner by myself, and I'm sitting there and I'm texting my buddies like, "Oh man, you guys should be here. This place is amazing." And I was like, "This is what I want to do. I want to come to Ski Hills with my buddies." And my buddy, some DJs, is like, oh, just me and my buddy will go. He can DJ. I'll do a comedy show. I'll just figure it out. And they had a, a map called the Powder Highway. And it's, it was all the ski hills in BC. I didn't even know how many ski hills there were in BC. So I had this Powder Highway map, and I started looking at it. And I'm like, okay, so there's Big White. has a, or Kelowna had a gig with Yucks or whatever at the time and all these things. I'm like, I could do this gig. I could do that. I'm like, I'm going to put this together for two weeks. So that was like February of 2008. So I started like drawing it out, and I was like, this is going to be – 
my vacation next year. I'm going to do it. I don't care if I make a dime, just whatever. Fun. Just have fun. Yep. So then I told Glenn Wolf came to visit in April. And he said, and I said, Glenn, this is my plan. I want to do this thing. And he's like, oh, man, that looks awesome. And he goes, can I come in, come with you? And I'm like, sure, dude, just the two of us will go, go have a blast for two weeks. Right. Then uh, I get a call in August. I think they were all pretty drunk. Glenn Wool was, was doing Edinburgh. And he said, hey, I've told Craig Campbell and Ed Byrne about this. <laughs> Can they come? Ed said he'll sleep on the couch. He just wants to come. And I'm like, I'm going to let a millionaire sleep on the couch. Like, how are we going to do this? So I'm like, well, now this is a different thing with four people versus two of us. Like, four people to make money now. Yeah, and these tough. little, it's going to be tough. Yep. And I'm like, we have so many more expenses, guys. Like, this is, you don't understand how much more this is going to be. So I said, okay, I'm coming to England in September. Let's all meet. So we all met at Glenwell's apartment. And they were all talking about this. And they're like, yeah, yeah. And they, I'm like, look, I've promoted shows. I got an idea. This is what I want to do. And I said, we'll do a mixture of some bars, some theaters. We'll rent out these theaters. We'll see what we can do. And I'll just start, I'll start getting on it. So it was like September. And we're like, okay, we'll do it like the, you know, January 8th through the 15th. We had nine shows. It was like two weeks, nine shows. They came out a week early. Craig and them flew in for New Year's, spent a week in Nelson. They actually missed the, that show first show because the roads were snowed in. They couldn't actually get there. They'd go down to the States. It was pretty crazy. Um, they showed up like an hour after the show or half an hour. If, if they hadn't gone all the way down, they would have made it. But um so i just did it for like was nine shows and trying to hit all these places that like as much as i could you know and it was tough to get the venues and i didn't know much about booking and like called up radio stations did all these things like i just learned on the fly right plus you know my knowledge of the last 15 or so years of promoting and then we did it and we all made 2500 bucks at the end right and we're like do you want to do this again and they're like, sure. Now I had a better idea. So next year I moved up to like 15 dates. You know what I mean? So I yep. just kept adding and adding. So this last year we did 45 cities and 50 shows. And next year we'll be at, I think, 67 cities Crazy. and like over like almost 72 or 73 shows. Amazing, Dave. Yeah. What I love about it is, <coughs> and like you said about the industry before, I think part of what the frustration is for most comedians or actors or musicians, whatever it is, is, this concept of when you start of waiting to be chosen of yeah. of waiting for someone to send you an email or give you a phone call or whatever that's going to change your life and it does happen and it happens yeah. every day and i understand that but i think quite often the real joy comes from taking the power back a little bit and just choosing yourself and saying yeah. fuck it i i have an idea i have a concept i'm willing to invest some of my own money behind it mm. and going to go do this thing and i think quite often that leads to more happiness like that's that's what i love about this whole project is that it's like simple basic why are we sitting around waiting for to be chosen yeah why don't we just get my buddies people i like being around and go do the thing i love two things which yeah. is the comedy part and the snowboarding part it's like when you when you reverse engineer it you're like of course yeah of course this is what we should have been doing you know yeah. what i mean but you don't come up in that system you come up in a system that's like i'll tell you when you're ready to headline yeah i'll tell you how much money you're going to make i'll tell you what your travel dates are so it doesn't come from a you're always looking for permission you're always looking to gatekeepers and, and you 100 and and i was that way too right because i was in the industry you know doing those things and gone through like the way you say okay and then you're middle and then you're a headliner and yep. then you get the festival and you do this and you do that and you you like you see this route and then you're and then all of a sudden you're like waiting for these things like okay well how come i didn't get the festival this year or whatever and then i was like i'm not caring about any of that anymore like I don't like I just do my own thing. And I'm not saying like I don't ever like there's not moments of like oh, I didn't get the festival or whatever. Yeah, like, yeah. you know, you still have those little like feel. But then I'm like, you know what? I just got my own thing. 
Like yeah. I'm making more money and having a happier life than I could have imagined. And I, if I just did the festival, like all those guys, like the festival, they're, they're not living the happiness or making the money that I am. I'm like, right. why, why do I care about that? Like just do my own thing that makes me happy going snowboarding. I'm happy every day. Like the, the, the snowed in tour is the most stressful, like hardest thing I do where every day, but it's like a good stress. It's one I want to. It's not like, why am I here? It's like, okay, I got to make sure I have, this is done. Make sure this is done. Yeah. Get the show done. Like you're just like, I'm on, like I'm only sleeping maybe five or six hours a night at best. Yeah. Cause I have to do all, I do all the books, everything. Like there's, there's only really two employees and it's really only me is for 99% of it. And 1% as I had somebody doing a little bit of the PR. Right. And that's it. I do every, every single thing, including like booking the hotels, the rentals, like every day, like when we go to the show, the theater, I have to deal with the theater people, this, get the payout and yeah. like, who's got to get this, all these sort of things. Then take all the receipts from all the vehicles and the hotels every day, it's crazy. every night, run the books. They give me all the numbers. So I, I go back after the show and I'm putting in every single cost in my spreadsheet, all that sort of stuff. I got all the receipts when check them off every day and you have to do it almost every day because if you track. don't you're just too, you're too far behind yeah and, and the thing I, it's funny because someone said it to me once about like oh man it must be so easy for you you're playing these venues i was like you want to punch them in the face yeah right? you're like do you have any idea what it's like to take a credit card and put down a deposit of like twenty two hundred dollars on yeah. a venue and go i gotta sell x amount of tickets just to get this back yeah. do you know what i mean like yeah and now oh apparently the posters aren't up oh the venue didn't put up the thing on their calendar of events it's yeah. like now i'm calling them it's like it's 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 always putting out fires all the time all you know? the time and here's the thing is like you have to when you do theaters is nobody is else is responsible for your success no or failure they don't care no. like i remember somebody else another comic is like telling me like oh and they wouldn't even do ads for like no they don't nobody does like this is easy like you want no stress like i showed up at the laugh shop uh, yesterday afternoon, went to the gym, went for dinner, had two glasses of wine, walked in the room 10 minutes before. I'm like, oh, no guest spots. I'm doing an hour. Okay. That's it. That was the only thoughts I had. We're, we're unsnowed in. That, yeah. that, that would be like, that's our day off where I have, I have more thoughts on our day off, including where we're going for dinner. And when we go out, like, like, you, you know, 2200 before snowed in starts, I'm a hundred thousand in debt. Right. It's, it's like yeah. people have no idea. No like, concept. what a great, so easy, you guys so just easy. get to do. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and no idea, like, at any point, we're like, so what if one of us gets a Me Too moment out of nowhere right before the tour starts and I just lose and the whole tour is done? It's like, done. You, and trust me, Weather, every scenario, yeah. like, what if somebody dies in a plane crash right before this? Like, yeah, are like we, you're on the hook. Like, all of it, and nobody yeah. cares. And like, it's all prepaid. There's a the thing, too, is all, that's what they don't understand is I have to pay for, like, and you you get this. All the advertising, all that sort of stuff. Sometimes, like I have, like some venues, I've paid the deposit on six months in advance. I don't get paid till one week after that show. Sometimes two or three weeks after yeah. that show. So I'm carrying all of that debt. So all the advertising, the, the radio ads, the Facebook, every single thing, the hotel rooms. I had to pay for my seventy-two hundred bucks for Whistler hotel rooms. I had to pay for that in October. We didn't do the shows until January. <laughs> so it's like it's yeah. like the scariest. You're running a business but that you don't. Here's what I love yeah. about this story is like, you know, like that's that's what I mean too. Like when people talk about talent and making it and all that, it's like I think sometimes people forget just that nuts and bolts part of like how committed are you to this thing? Like there's a great adage that people that I've heard is which is uh, 
Show me where you put your time and your money, yeah. and I'll tell you what your priorities are. Yeah. Don't tell me what your priorities are. Just let me look in your bank account and look at your credit card yeah. statement, and let me look at how you break down the hours of your day, and then I'll tell you what your priorities are. Because I know I know certain comics who are like, hundred bucks for a headshot. Fuck that. Yeah. I'm like, dude, a hundred bucks for a headshot, like, or to get a, a, a proper tape yeah. or to whatever. It's like. You're talking about 7,200 bones all in. You're not even getting that back, let alone yeah. making money off of it. Yeah. Not even getting that recovery of those funds. It's like that to me is all in. That is like, no, no, I believe in this and I'm willing to risk and invest. And it's like yeah. I try and explain that to some other comics sometimes when, you know, it's like, oh, apparently I can get a good good footage from this room or whatever. It's going to cost me 100 bucks. It's like, dude, that footage is going to get you so many miles. Yeah. You can send it off to bookers like – but there's not that investment. It's like you can go to the bar and spend a hundred bucks, no problem, and yeah. not think twice about it. Yeah. But you want to invest a hundred bucks in your business and dream? Yeah. I can't do that. It's like you don't want this. Then you really don't. You no. say you do, but you don't. It's like it's not. I mean, so that's what I find amazing as I'm listening to you crunch these numbers. It's like because I've been there. And yeah. I'm like you don't know what you're talking about. Then like you don't. Yeah. And it's it's scary. It's, oh, it's really scary. But you know, it's like I I played poker for a while too. Like when in the '05 was and stuff and. Okay, because I was always a math guy, right? I always yep. did well in math. But here's the thing about poker. So, like, you play a hand, and I knew what my probabilities were pretty I – could, I could mostly tell you before we flip the cards. I'm like, okay, I'm 63% to win this or whatever it is. I had a pretty good feeling. I'd be like, okay, based on this. And you're not always right, but most of the time you're right. Now, here's the thing. Just because you're right, it doesn't mean you're going to win the hand. No. If you're 63% to win, you're 37% chance going to lose. But – if you're a business person, you play that 63% because you're going to win two out of the three times, oh right? Gosh, yeah. So roughly, so that's a smart play that you want to play over and over and over again. And that's <clears throat> the way when we do the theater shows is that we don't always hit. No. You know, but 63% of the time we do, I want to keep playing more hands. Yeah. The more hands you have, the more I'm going to win. Yes. Because so the more venues, I, but the more hands I play, the bigger the numbers, the bigger the risks, everything, yeah. because each one like, you know, people understand some of those shows can cost like twelve, fifteen thousand dollars to put on by the time you put on like in those big venues. Yeah, because they're so expensive. Yep, marketing, like, labor costs, liability insurance. Insur it's like it's it's insane. Yeah, it's insane. It is insane. And that's why I think. <clears throat> someone comes up and talks about like, well, you know, so-and-so is really talented. It's like, you know, talent is like the invitation to get into the party. It's right. like everyone in the party is talented. It's yeah. like now who's going to put the work in and make the sacrifices to get to where they need to be. And like those slow nights and I've had them too, where you're like, ah, oh, we didn't any go anywhere near the ticket sales that I wanted. Yeah. It's still better yeah. than me having to work for someone else or me doing it is, things but I it don't want to do. Oh, it's it hurts. hurts when you it lose money when, <laughs> <laughs> when you're performing for negative yeah. dollars. Yes. But uh, I've also, it but, you're also but it's, it's better. You know what? We, even on this story, we had like, there was a couple, especially in the newer part stuff and the newer shows, but, a couple, but all the guys were like great mood. And, over the week, we won most of those hands. Yeah, yeah. But the, you know, the guys were like, "Hey, this is fun," and we because we're all invested in it too. Yep. And that, that's what's good with like Pete and Paul; they really get it. Yeah, they're invested in it. Like they give everything they have. They're just so amazing to to be around, and they're fun. But they, they, they like I like I explain my decisions to them because we we split the money, we right. share it. So I'm like, um, I like, hey, this is what it is. You know what I mean? Like, yes, it's my company. But, you know, most of the profits we're all splitting. So you're invested in that as a partner, too. So they, I make the decision, but I go, like, this is why we're doing this. This is what it is. Yep. And 
I'm hoping for the best guys. Like I, I know going in there's every risks. decision, there's a risk. Yeah. Every time we do a show, uh, there's a risk. Yeah. And I go, okay. But, but I've also learned that the more I go back, the better we do each time. If that, we go in and knock it out. That's the thing. That's the key too. I think yeah. is that a lot of comedians have tried to do it on their own, but they don't have the sales they want the first time through. So they go, Oh fuck it. I'm not going back at that again. Yeah. Whereas I look at it the other way and go, okay, so if you get a small turnout, but you do great show, that 60 people becomes 120 next time. Yeah. But it's that belief that then word of mouth is like, oh, you got to see these guys. They were incredible last time they came through. And so they're going to bring people, not throw the towel in and go, oh, whatever. But that also means making other sacrifices in your life. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so that you have the finances and you're able to go, I can throw money down on marketing and a venue and whatever. And again, that's why I get back to that same thing. It's like, show me, show me your bank account, and, show me your time. And for you, like, so how did this hour come about for you? So I had gone as a writer for three or four different stints there, yeah. and I'd done road pieces while I was there for them, too, yeah. where I was out in the street and stuff. Um, and so it was weird. When I left the last time as a writer, I had a vibe. I was like, I think I might get an invite to come back next season because a bunch of my stuff had made the air, and I kind of – a lot of that, too, is like you just get along well with people. That's a lot of it. You're working in close quarters. Right, right. It's just like that was part of it, too. Um, and then I was like, oh, I got a vibe that I might come back as a writer or something. And then an offer came, but it was like, no, no, we want you to be more on camera. Would that be cool? So that was like, whoa, <laughs> sure, I guess that'd be all right. Okay, yeah. I could take that, so, right? So yeah. So do you think the theaters, like, because you play the theaters in Newfoundland and do quite well, and yeah, stuff yeah. In the maritime. Yeah. Do you think that had any? And they're uh, not, or do they? That's a problem. I feel like this is the the Canadian industry doesn't correlate the two at all. No. Where in the U.S. they do. Yeah. They're like, oh, your people like you. Yeah. They're showing up. Let's give you bigger opportunities. Yeah. You know, like I could play the Vogue and all that sort of stuff, and then I'm still going in for one-liner acting parts. Yeah, no. If I, they I, don't even like. You're still going to do a guest spot at some other club. They yeah. go, never heard of you. It's yeah, like, yeah. I just sold 1,000 tickets at yeah, the whatever. Yeah. yeah, I don't think there's a correlation. I think they're two separate worlds, left hand, right hand. Right. Um, and I think it was literally just a – a familiarity over time over the course of three or four years and it was like hey like right. we're enjoying those road pieces or whatever or the street pieces you know do you want to come on more full-time so i was like sure i'd love to obviously but but your work ethic has always been pretty solid yeah right i i, I took it as a job i don't think i took it as soon as you did yeah but i remember you and i had a conversation one time years ago i think it might have been open for you and i was like we were talking about joke writing yeah. and you were talking about how jokes are never done and how you know you can always fix it it can always be yeah. better and I remember that, and I remember thinking like how I would. I used to be one of these one and done guys. Like yeah. set up, here's the joke, that's done. Yeah. What about cats? And I yeah. move on to the next thing, and I realized. Yeah, your oh joke my... writing has changed a lot and grown over the years. Thank you. I but... remember, yeah, in the beginning, it was it was you would do set up and a misdirection punch. Yes, like, always. Always. It was, like, it was always, uh, and then thank here's you, the misdirection. Yeah. yeah, you always thank had you. a misdirection at the end. Yeah, yeah. Cab driver, yeah. or I was driving, <laughs> exactly or whatever it, yeah. it was. And now yeah. you've, you've got a depth and a structure to it. And they're right? not the same setup. It's yeah, not yeah. the same form every time. Yeah. And I realized it was like, oh, I got to treat this like a job. That means – and uh, this is true. I don't know if you watched this movie. The, the Seinfeld documentary comedian yeah. really yeah. helped me where he has that moment of, hey, look at those construction guys. They don't want to go back to work, but they're going. Yeah. I went, man, do I put that much work or any, yeah. any kind of even percentage close to that into my own stand-up? So – I started to go, once I left my job, there was no more excuses. It's like, I have nothing but time. Yeah. Sit down every day, at least for an hour. That was the goal for an hour. Fix old ones. Try and write new ones. They might have been shit, but it doesn't matter. Just exercising the muscle. So I didn't have it as early as you did, but I had. I learned. I was like, oh, it's either so go work. So do you work. still have that? Do you yeah, still yeah. have it? 
I really? still are trying. I still try and go. Hey, let's. Yeah. And it's funny because Pete Zedlocker was on the on yeah. the, the podcast two weeks ago. Yeah. And Pete said the great thing about Snowed In is that it's really driven him to generate new material because you, you guys are coming back to the same towns and so it's yeah. I, well, I tell him like you can't come back with the same set. Yeah. And you know, in Pete. Pete is a crusher comic. Like, oh, yeah. I, I think he's Killer. he's fantastic. And, you know, but he'd reached, I think, a point, too, before doing Snowed In where he could do Can of Goose. He could do these things. Yep. And on any given night, he could just walk on and boom, 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 destroy. Oh, my God, you're amazing. And and then, you know, so in the first year we had him on Snowed In. And, you know, I'm eight years in. I'm writing a brand new set every year, you know, and I'm like, sometimes I'm looking at the guys. I'm like, I don't know about this joke. Like, I hope it works, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. because, but I'm just, I'm sticking to it. Yep. And Pete's like walking in, like, what do you mean? I'll just go out and get a standing ovation for us, you know, and, <laughs> yeah. and just crush. But then like, you know, the next year he's like, oh, I can't do Canada Goose. And it's like, okay, so now I can pull out this. And then by the third year, he like this last year, he had to write a brand new set. Yeah. Right. And it was like a new challenge for him in the sense of like, so we had to start earlier and yep. you know pete at least pete is like he's a comic yep that's what he is that's what he does he gets on stage whenever he can and he works like he's a he's a but he now he's working in a different way yep. he's working to like okay i gotta create new material and i gotta create it just as good because so then like this last year i don't know if you saw his closer where he had the pangu bit or whatever it's no, one of his it. new new things he was closing with it and i i asked him i said at the end of the the tour boat through and i said if you had to do a show right now your best set would you close with Canada Goose or Pangu? And he's like, I don't know. Great question. Because it, and like well, that, I think that for him was a good moment of like I can write another Canada Goose. I can, and it now the muscles are there. And I, I wish my work ethic on writing was as good as it. It's not as good as it should be. I have a tendency. I'm writing stuff right now, but come September, I'll start panicking and go. I have four months to write 25 killer minutes. Right. So I'm I'm writing stuff now, but I'm not sitting down and writing every day. I am working on Snowden. Like I've got every day, I work on Snowden. Do you feel like that? Do you feel that that part, the business side of it, takes the energy from the creative side? 100. percent Yeah. And but because the creative side, you can let slip. Because you know you'll find a way. I don't know. Sometimes I panic. I always do, but I panic a little bit. I got to be honest. You're like the guy who crams for exams because he can. Yeah. I I always did that. I always did exams and I'd be like, okay, I got an exam and I'll work on a lesson. What time is it? 11 o'clock? I guess I should crack a book. And then I would do fine, but I like, but I, but with the, the, the other side, um, how much time I got left? See. We're great, man. We're an uh, uh, hour and one. We're low. Okay, so we'll we wrap it up shortly. Go ahead, finish your point. The With the business side, I can't let that slide. Right. Because I got to, like, the first thing I got to do is, like, I know what I have to do now. Like, it's 10 years. This will be our 11th. And I know what I have to do. So because we're expanding, we're doing the Maritimes next year. Awesome. Um, and we're doing Ontario. If you need help with that, by the way, in terms of venues and stuff, yeah, I would cool. help Yeah, you. I might even ask you a few quick questions about that. But um, yep. I've got most of that done now. Okay, cool. But I, I can't, you can't wait because somebody else takes them. There's holds and you have, you know, this whole process. So I have to do it. Every day, and I, I used to start like every year snowed in. Started a few weeks earlier than the year before, right? And now I actually start snowed in while snowed in is on. Crazy. So I'm starting it in January for 2018. In fact, I've already started putting holds now on 2019. Crazy. So it, it just gets more and more because I have now like because I'm doing everything, I have to have everything done by 
December, pretty much like the, of all the ads, everything done because I can't, I don't have time if I want to go snowboarding. So I also go snowboarding every day during right, snowboarding, right? Right. So, and then I can't handle all these things because if you think of 75 shows, each show that goes off is the greatest thing because that's one less show I have to worry about. Right. Because on any given day up until that point, we're talking, sorry, it'll be not 70, it'll be 62 or 63 shows, the cities, um, they can all send me emails about what about this? What about this? What about this? So you're like your email, like every day I wake up. What times do you want sound check? Yeah. In six months time. Yeah. (laughs) So so the good thing is I actually have now learned a little bit too. And with sound checks is like, cause most of them, I try to start the shows at the same time if we can. So I do a lot of group messages like BCC is my friend. And I'm like, we will be here at this time. We'll do sound check at this time. This person will be on at this time. And like, that's one email. Here's the insurance. One email, like all to 65 people at once is my best friend. Yep. But if I get behind on the business side, I'm screwed. Right. And, you know, on the performance side, if I get a little bit behind, I can catch up along the way. Yes. You know, like, let's just say I, I get to Smithers and I only got 20 minutes of new. I could pull out five from five years ago or something. And then the next day, okay, I got a new minute, another two, and then things will happen along the way. Yep. So that show isn't perfect and it changes. In fact, this year was a really interesting one because I hadn't done the show. I'd only done it. I'd never done the show. So it's a brand new show, 25 minutes. And I hadn't done it as the show. So I was like, okay, I'd done it in 10 minutes here. It was, five all, minutes you there. Mean it was always in chunks up to that chunks. point. Yeah. So I was like, okay, I got it. So I got on it and I wasn't happy. We even got a standing ovation the third show or second show in, and I was still like, this isn't right, this isn't right. And the weekend, and it was working, but I, I just wasn't happy. And then one night, I'm like laying in bed, like in the second, second week, and I'm like, I got it. I'm doing it in the wrong order. <laughs> just I'm you. like, this should be over here. This should be over here. And then one night, I woke up the next day, and I'm like, I got it. I'm doing the jokes in the wrong order. That's why they're not working as well as I want something. This should be at the end. This should be here. And I did it, and then boom, and then it just flowed from then on. Right. And then I was like, okay, I get it now. So it, it takes that takes a while, you know? <clears throat> Readjust it. No, it yeah. does. It. And that's the beauty of being uh, on a tour where you get to get those reps, and you go, yeah. oh, that didn't feel right because that's supposed to lead into that thing, and I can actually now call back to this other thing. Like, that's the science of it. Yeah. But I think that you and I are similar in that regard where I love that shit. Like, yeah. I love waking up at 3.45 in the morning yeah. out of a dead sleep going, yeah. oh, fuck, the shower thing was supposed to, like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, that's almost an obsession. Like, I think, I don't know if everyone has that. It you is for I mean? me. I have that same, like, in fact, if it wasn't for comedy, I don't see part of the reason was is I would go to bed and not be able to go to bed. So if I thought of a joke, it would be with me and it would yeah. keep going and going and going and going. So finally I got a notepad and then I would be like, okay. And I turn on the lights and notepad. And now because I'm married, I, I can't do that quite <laughs> as easy. So I have a, my phone and I, I do it on my phone if it's so at I night do, yeah. because it's not quite as, I don't turn on all the lights in the place, but I still do that. And if I don't do that, I won't sleep. Yeah. I, I will be up till six, you seven in the morning. You need to get it out of your I mind. I have to get it out, yet. write it all down. And I, I've also learned to not just put it in, mini points to actually write the joke out because yeah, of too you many times context of it, you oh know? yeah you're like i don't know what what was they thinking alligator jesus i gotta oh, stop so much dairy to queen alligator uh, yeah, that's uh yeah that's and hilarious the, the night before you're like oh this is so good i, I, I love that in. too i've had that where i go there's no way i'll forget it it's so good yeah it's impossible for me to forget yeah. next morning nothing just nothing. dairy queen alligator yeah like, so I now go. i try to write it out and take the time because what i would do is i'm like oh well i'll just write this down and then i'll go to bed yeah so now i'm like you know what take the 10 minutes 
put it out because also it's on my phone, so I'm like I'm not the fastest phone typer. Yep. So it's like do 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 sitting there, yeah. and I actually have to turn the dimmer down because of my my wife hates light in the yeah, room. Mine's the same way. Yeah, I, I don't like noise, and she doesn't like yeah. light, so it's a weird yeah. kind of. She's like, you smiling over there right now? <laughs> Turn those off, Trent. You, turn them off. You shut those lips down there. I'm just trying to. Uh, all right, we'll wrap this up. I want to ask you one last question to close, and uh, I love this one because this one got asked to me at a job interview once, and and it, it I thought it was really revealing because oh. it. Uh, what is the biggest uh, misconception that people have of you, and then what is the reality of that? What would be the real deal? Well, I think with comics, I think sometimes comics, like especially trying to get booked, they're like Dan doesn't like me. Dan doesn't like me. Uh, that's not the truth at all. In fact, I probably don't even know you. Or B, maybe I just don't think you're ready right. comedically. Uh, it's nothing against personally. It's like people go like, and they like, so they think I'm an asshole or whatever like that. And that's that's not the case at all. It's just like sometimes I got to make a judgment based on what I see. And also everybody thinks in the beginning they're way better than they are. Yeah. So I'm not going like, and I'm not saying like I'll see somebody and they'll be like, oh, I, why, why don't you book me in Hecklers? And I'm like, well, I just don't think you're ready. And they're like, oh, Dan doesn't like me. Right. No, I don't think you're ready. Right. And I'm also comparing you to all the other people I could book at that time. Right. So if you're not standing out to me at that time, I'm not going to book you. You're taking a you week know, from somebody else. From somebody else yeah. who's going to do that. And they don't see the big picture. Right. I see the big picture. And what they don't understand is if they go into a, the club like Heckler's and they don't do well, Aaron never says to the act, you didn't do well. Aaron d never, ne never does that. That's not his job. He's, he goes to me, they didn't do well. And he blames me right. for booking them. So Aaron looks at me like, you screwed up. When you sent this person. Right. And Aaron isn't like an asshole to me. He's an awesome dude. Yep. But he's telling me like, didn't you didn't do your job. Your job is to provide good comics here. So if I don't think that person is going to go in and carry the time. So when they're like, oh, you did good in five minutes. I'm like, well, I need people that can do 25. And I don't think based on what I saw on the joke writing, how tight it was, that's going to carry over. I see holes in five minutes. Those holes are going to be exposed in 25. Right. Right. Or so I'm comparing against this all other thing. And then and then, so now and I also find now at clubs where I love like watching new comics and be like, hey, that's a good joke. Yeah. If I say that to a comic, he could have four crap jokes and one good one. But I'm like, oh, I like that one. And I'd like to be that guy. Yep. And I like being that guy, but now I can't because I get an email from the next day and go, hey, well, well can I play hecklers? So now I'm like, I can't. Oh, God, no. I got to sit here and be the guy who like, can't talk to people because like, I don't want to get like eight emails the next day from everybody that I was like on an amateur night. Like, that was a good funny thing. Or I like what you did there. Right. So now I just got to be like, I'm like, sometimes I'm like, why do I book? I don't want, I'd rather just be the fun. You know what yeah, I mean? The yeah. guy like, hey, nice work up there. Good. You're going to be doing well. Yeah. You know what I mean? I've heard email Dan right away yeah, while he's like, still here. It's like, a... it's literally the next day every time. So yeah. now I'm like, I just don't. You're like the drunk guy at the bar where the, uh, the bartender goes, would you like another drink, sweetie? And she touches his shoulder. And yeah. You think she likes him. You know yeah. what I mean? It's like, yeah. did you see that? She touched yeah. my shoulder. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, she touches everyone's shoulder. Yeah, man. yeah. Don't she's trying it. to get better tips, asshole. <laughs> and now you're asking for yeah. a phone number. She's got to sit yeah, at the hey, bar. Like, uh, so, what time you getting off? <laughs> yeah, so now she starts like, stops, top, she used to be her thing to get tips. Now she stops it. 
because she yeah. doesn't want to ask no. for her phone number every time. Yeah, right? exactly. exactly. Yeah, yeah. So that's, if I'm too friendly, it's they, it's, they misread it's too it. Friendly. So I think yeah. you know the misconception is I, I think people think I'm a bigger asshole than I am probably. Right. Well, it's yeah. tough to be that booker. That's why I've never booked a room because yeah. I I didn't want to get into that stuff. So anyone who does it, I'm like, man, hats off to you because I yeah. never ever uh, did it. Well, dude, have a fantastic show tonight. I All hope right. you crush it. Did you want to? Is there anything you want to share here about the the Snowden comedy tour or anything? Oh, yeah, to, we'll be you know looking out. Uh, I think uh, so. Deborah D. Giovanni, I think, is going to be joining us for awesome. most of it next year. Crusher, which is now yeah, she's awesome human being and mm. crusher. She's like great, mm. and she has a lot of fans. And I think it's going to be really exciting to see what happens having her with our show because Deb Deb's fans, you know, from Deb's mouth, are mostly women at her shows and yep. gay men. Yep. They love her, but if guys go to see her. They laugh just as hard as anybody oh, else. Yeah. She's yeah. just funny. But they don't go to the shows because the guys are like, well, you go with your girlfriend tonight. Yeah. So it's going to be really interesting when we have our fans, and then her fans will be able to bring their husbands and stuff. So I'm really interested to see how that does, and then yeah. also what it means for Deborah down the road because she's going to get exposed to so many people that wouldn't be there right. that are already like, the say, the, their wife's a big fan. The next time Deborah comes by herself, I think those guys are going to be like, no, I want to go too. Like right. you're bringing me and we're bringing my buddies and we're all going for sure because you know, she's just like a world-class act and oh, no. a world-class human being too. You know, she's sure. like so funny just to be around. She's yeah. like the female John Candy. She's just like the most oh, likable human being. Just, just a, like, yeah. just a whirling dervish too. Like just yeah. the energy and like coming yeah. on stage. So she, yeah, she'll crush. It'll be a good, like I said, a good uh, yeah. dynamic between those two groups of fans. So yeah, we'll do crush it tonight. Thanks right. so much for doing this, man. It was a great chat. All right. Thank you very much. Cheers, buddy. Best Thanks of luck with everything in the future, Trent. Thank you, sir. That's how it all started Like a whisper in your ear You told them you loved them And ran as fast as you could It's not to be taken lightly But then you never were Your fingers bleeding, your body aches from the thunder in your heart So you laid on the line Blindfolded and chalk marked Like a good little soldier You knew just what you were Can you give up now? Can you turn this around? Can you keep your heart beating? How do you live when you don't know how? So you laid on the line, blindfolded and chalk marked, like a good little soldier, knew just what you were. Get it out fast enough To make it all